Sometimes you do come face to face with the side of yourself that you didn't realise was there. And the start of a new year can be a place of introspection. It can be a place where we start to look inwards a little bit and start to reflect on just who we are. Maybe just the last year did we fulfil what we wanted to do and uh, as we look ahead to the new year and we, we make resolutions. Anybody make a resolution this year? You don't have to tell, I'm not going to ask you what it is, don't worry. Anybody make a resolution? No, you all just kind of want to stay as you are. That's fine. Uh, I didn't make w- one either. Uh, but we make these resolutions, which I always think is strange, that there's something about that little uh, turn of the clock from December 31st to January 1st that makes us think everything can be different. You know, that all of those bad habits, all those things we've been doing for years, suddenly come January 1st, we can be completely different people. It's a blank page, it's a new day, it's a new start, it's a new beginning, when really it's just an arbitrary thing. That thing that you want to give up, that thing that you want to start, you could have done it on November 14th or June 26th or April 12th. But there's something about January 1st that makes us believe that things can be different. And maybe for some of you, you are looking into the year ahead and you're hoping and you're longing and you're praying that it will be better than last year. I've spoken to a lot of people over the last week or so, and I've seen a lot of posts on social media, on Facebook and so on, where people are saying, I I just want 2020 to be better than 2019. I just, uh, 2019 was difficult, and I'm praying that 2020 will be different. But then I realized that in the first week of 2019, I saw the same post, not necessarily from the same people, but the same post saying 2018 was really difficult, and I want 2019 to be better. And then, the start of 20, you know, and, I, 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 and we always, I think the reality I've come to is this, life is hard. We are painted this picture by the media and by movies and by social media that somehow most people other than us have this nice life, this easy life, this, you know, glide through life, everything's happy, and we filter and we, 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 we make, we, we, we post the highlights of our lives on Instagram and, and Facebook. We don't post the fight we just had with our wife. <laughs> we don't post that you want to choke your kids over the Christmas holidays because they're just getting on that last nerve. You know, we post the high, and but, but because we post the best bits, we look at everybody else's life and we assume that their life is so much better than ours. And the reality we need to come to is this, folks. Life is hard. It's always hard. So for some people, yes, it's definitely harder than others. But there's nobody breathing that isn't going to have difficulties this year. Sorry to break that. Happy New Year, folks. There's your jolly New Year's message. 2020 vision. Life is hard, okay? That is, but that's just the reality of life. And there's something actually about accepting that that's liberating. Because if you don't think life is ever going to be hard when life gets hard, you think there's something wrong with you or that God's against you or that you stepped out of his will. The reality is life is just hard sometimes. You go through some barren seasons. You go through some difficult times and then you come out of it and life is better again. That is just the reality of being human in the world. But the problem is that if you've gone through a difficult season for too long, if you've gone through disappointment for too long, if you've had rejection and betrayal and hurt and and pain for too long, you start thinking that that's just the way life is now going to be. That you once had expectation here, but your experience was here, and so you've brought 
your expectation down to your experience. And you don't really expect much from life. You think 2020 is just going to be a repeat of 2019. That nothing's really going to change. That's where we find God's people in Isaiah 54. They're at a very low place. They're at a place of deep disappointment and abandonment. Frustration. Pain. Last week we looked at Isaiah 6. Where King Uzziah died. The king who had protected them. The king who had... Uh, protected their borders against the Assyrians, but in the end it wasn't the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians who carried them into exile when we get to Isaiah 54. That's where we get the wonderful Boney M song, which is taken from a psalm by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, we wept when we remembered Zion. They're exiled in this other nation in Babylon, they're sitting by the river and they're singing the Lord's song in a strange land. And they've been there at this stage for maybe 60 years if you've been in the exile for 60 years, if you've been in a place that you don't want to be for 60 years, that takes its toll on you. You begin to think this is just the way life's going to be. Life is never going to be better. And you lower your expectations and you live with a lingering sense of disappointment and sadness and discouragement and depression. Because that's just the way life is going to be. And in Isaiah 54, God and, and, and Isaiah describe it in this word, barren. That God's people at this stage are barren. It's a horrible word. It's not a nice word. But God speaks in our language. And he's trying to communicate something to those people at that time that they would have understood. Because barrenness was something that was seen in those days as one of the worst things imaginable. I mean, it's still not a pleasant thing today. And I'm very sensitive to that. I know people in my family. I know people in this church. I have many friends who have struggled with uh, conceiving. So I'm very sensitive. But God is saying that that his people here are barren. Israel, he says, are like a barren woman. He's using it to describe not their physical condition, but their spiritual and emotional condition. They were barren. What does that mean? They were empty. There was no life there. There was no uh, reproductive system. There was nothing producing. They were unfruitful. You see, reproduction is built into the DNA of humanity. When you go back to Genesis, God created everything to reproduce. He created animals to reproduce after their own kind. He created plants to reproduce after their own kind. He created humans to reproduce after their own kind. What's the first thing he told Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and increase in number. Youth, if you're not sure what that means, ask your mum and dad over Sunday lunch today. Okay, but everything was designed to reproduce. And so when we're not fruitful, when we're not reproducing, there's something wrong. Something has gone wrong. And anything that doesn't reproduce eventually dies out. Any community, any group of people, anything that doesn't reproduce eventually dies out. And God had called his people Israel to reproduce. He had called them to be a fruitful people. He had called them out of, uh, out of slavery and into their own land and said, I want you to be a light to the nations. I want you to point other people to me, but I don't want you to keep this to yourselves. But they became proud and arrogant and they began to feel like God was their exclusive God. But then over time, it actually got worse than that because they began to follow the gods and the idols of the pagan nations around them. And so God lifts his hand of blessing off them and they become unfruitful. And they become barren. And that is why they end up in exile. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, 
Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more of the children of a desolate woman than her who has a husband. Look at what God says. He says she's, Israel are barren. He says his people are spiritually barren. In other words, they are unable to have children. But it's, it's actually worse than that because there's some people who have had one child but are unable to have any more. He says she's never had a child. She's never been able to have a child. And then it's even worse than that because it says she's desolate. In other words, she has no husband. In other words, she has no potential to have a child in the future. She's no chance of bringing forth new life. Remember when we studied Ruth recently? Remember when we we saw that the two things for a woman in those ancient times, a woman needed two things. She needed a husband to provide protection and provision, and she needed children to continue her legacy and to keep the land of their inheritance. This woman, this barren woman Israel has neither. In other words, it's a picture of desperation. It's a picture of shame. It's a picture of emptiness. It's a picture of disappointment and frustration and rejection. Someone who's a burden to society but isn't contributing anything. As Christians and as a church, we're called to be fruitful. We're called to reproduce. Jesus said, I want you to bear much fruit, John chapter 15. He says, in fact, if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut off that branch and divert my resources to those branches that are fruitful. The norm for a church and the norm for the Christian life isn't barrenness, it is fruitfulness. Now, we will go through seasons where we're barren. We will go through times when, when things are a bit dry in our lives. Let's be honest, we're not always on a spiritual high. There's times when I go through a barren desert place. There's times when I struggle to pray. There's times when it feels like God is a million miles away. There's times when I get up here on a Sunday and I'm being really honest, I don't really particularly want to be up here. I remember when as a theological college, we were being interviewed for curacies and one of my friends in my year asked the rector who was interviewing him, if I'm feeling far from God or having an off day, can I not preach? And the rector looked at him and said, I wouldn't preach for about 30 Sundays of the year in that case. But the reality is that we all have off days. We all have barren times. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. But here's the thing. Barrenness is a season, but it's not your life. Barrenness is a season, but barrenness should not become your life. The Bible says we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't spend our lives camped there. We had an apple tree out our back when I was growing up. How did I know it was an apple tree? There were apples on it. That's how I knew. It didn't take me to be a genius. Every summer we went out and there were apples on it. If for five years there were no apples on the tree, I would have had to deduce one of two things. One, it's not an apple tree. Or two, there's something unhealthy with it at the root system or, or, or internally. But every year apples appeared on it. But here's the thing. Apples didn't appear the whole year. Apples were not on it 12 months around. If you were to have went to it at this time of the year, it looked stripped, it looked naked, it looked barren, and it looked like it would never bear fruit again. But come spring, little buds and little blossoms would appear and they would grow and little apples would form. And not every season in your life is going to be a season of, whoa, isn't God so great? Hallelujah, praise. You know, sometimes there will be barren times. 
Sometimes you will praise by faith, not by emotion. Sometimes, like the psalmist, you will say, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. You will have to tell yourself to praise him because you're in a barren place. But that is not somewhere you should stay. And that is not God's will. God's will for your life is fruitfulness. God's will for your life is that you bear fruit in terms of reproducing the life of Christ within you and reproducing the life of Christ around you. It's our condition for a season, but it's not the norm for our lives. Otherwise, there's something very much wrong. So how do we break barrenness? If you find yourself in a season of barrenness, how do you break that? If you're feeling lifeless and empty, how do you turn that around? What's God's remedy for it? Well, look at verse 1 with me again, if you put it up on the screen there. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. God gives us three things to do as a prescription for barrenness. Sing, burst into song, and shout for joy. What is he talking about? He obviously missed the pastoral care and sensitivity class at some stage. Because that, when somebody is barren, that is not what we tell them. We tell them, cry. Burst into tears. Shout in anger and frustration. That's what seems to be the right and normal thing to do when things aren't going right in your life. God seems to have somehow got it wrong here. It seems so counterintuitive, like the exact opposite of what we should do. Sing. Burst into song. Shout for joy. What is God talking about? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this, that something coming from you will cause something to change within you. That a sound, a song coming from you will birth something within you. That a song and a shout will be a seed for a new beginning. That you don't have to settle in barrenness, but you can actually do something about it. Because here's what I've discovered in my own life. I wait normally for my emotions to change before I worship. You know what you can do? You can turn that around and you can worship until your emotions change. I wait for my circumstances and my situation to get better and then I'll praise God. Do you know what? Praise him in the negative. Praise him in the darkness. Praise him in the depression and you will see that start to shift. That is what he is saying. That singing and shouting will cause a divine conception within you. So start praising God for what you can't see yet as if it's right in front of you. That's what he says. Start praising him as if it's there which sounds ridiculous. But that's where faith comes in. And that's where obedience comes in. It doesn't make sense. And yet that's exactly how God often works. Sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make any sense. And your breakthrough from that barrenness will depend on whether you are willing to obey something that doesn't make sense. Now, I'm not talking about stupidity here, okay? And I am not talking about recklessness here. I've seen too many Christians make decisions saying, God told me, when actually they just wanted to do it themselves. God told me to leave my job. Have you got another job? No, I've got nothing. I have a family to support. Okay, you'd need to be sure God told you, because then you find out three weeks later they just actually didn't want their job anymore. That's silly. That's not God, okay? What I'm talking about is when you have a clear word from God that doesn't make sense, that's counterintuitive, that seems to go against what common sense actually is. When you obey that, 
something breaks. When you obey that, something shifts. That's what it says here. You have been barren your whole life. You have no hope of a child. But when you sing and when you shout, you will conceive something within you. New life will form. It breaks something. It unblocks something. It shifts something. Like two fish and five loaves of 15,000 people, that didn't make sense. A woman has no money and she's about to have to sell her children into slavery to pay her debts. And Elisha says, what have you got in your house? A little jar of oil. That doesn't make sense. Peter, come and step onto the waves here. That doesn't make sense. Noah, build an ark. There hasn't been a drop of rain. That doesn't make sense. Abraham and Sarah, you're so old that you haven't had a child yet. You're like 90 years old, but you're going to be the father of nations. That doesn't make sense. There's a lot of stuff God says that doesn't make sense. And yet when you obey what God has told you to do, something breaks spiritually. And you get unblocked. I remember, I've shared a little bit before how for years I struggled with giving. Even after I was ordained. I struggled with tithing. I struggled with giving. I even preached sermons on it and didn't do it. That's embarrassing to tell you. I knew I should, but I had this fear about not having enough. I had this fear that if I gave, I wouldn't have enough. Or I also had this thing off, I could spend that on something else, if I'm being really honest with you. But there was this mentality of, I can't give that to God because I, I need it for myself. And, and over a number of years, when I was a curate in Lurgan, an assistant minister, God began to break that in me to the point where we, we were tithing as a, as a family. And we moved to Dublin and I was given regularly and, and God blessed us and that Becky always had a job in Dublin. We, were, we moved her in the recession and people told her she would never get a job and within the first week she got a job. And... Uh, and so we were so blessed in that. But there came a stage about two or three, probably three years into our time, three and a half years into our time there, where she, she was going through an agency and she had a strange system there. You, you interview at the start of, when you move there, then you're putting a waiting list and anyway. But there'd been one job she's been waiting on for three years. It hasn't come up, so she's temping through an agency. But then the temporary work dries up. And suddenly we are earning 2,000 euros less a month, but all of our outgoings are exactly the same. And if you've been to Dublin in the last 10 years, it's not the cheapest city in the world to live in or to be in or to have dinner in or to buy groceries in or to do anything in. So my, our, our income has gone down by 2,000 euros a month. And so that old stress of mine starts to come back around money. That panic, that fear, will I have enough? And everything within me is starting to plan to reduce our tithe, which makes sense, doesn't it? If your income is less, your tithe is less. And I'm about to do this. And I feel God saying to me, increase your tithe by 50 euros. And that didn't make sense to me. But I did it because it was such a strong sense of you need. If you go back on this, this this will cause a blockage again in your life. And so I did it. I didn't tell Becky I was doing it, but I increased her tithe by 50 euros. I told her eventually and she was great. And about a month after this happened, for some reason on a Sunday I was preaching like this and I had never shared anything like this before and I just felt I was to share with the congregation what we'd done. I don't know why. 
And I, I, I hated doing it because I, I hate doing that. It's none of our business, you know what I mean? But I, I just felt really prompted by the Lord in a sermon that I was to share what had happened and that I'd increased our tithe by 50 euros. That was on the Sunday. On the Monday, Becky got a call. A job that she had been waiting for for three and a half years, a senior permanent post in Dublin, the first one to come up in three and a half years. She got a call on Monday to say it was hers. She was next on the list. Didn't even have to go for an interview. It was hers. On the Sunday, I tell the church, on next Sunday, I'm able to go back and say, guys, Becky just got a job last week. There's something that can be broken And that's money that could be anything for you, folks. That could be anything for you. There's something that is broken when you take a step of faith. It could be fear. It could be about uh, relationships that you have a fear of getting close to. It could be all sorts of things. But there's something when God tells you to do something, it breaks something. It removes a blockage. Also, he says, sing and shout. He's talking about releasing a sound. There's a new sound that will bring a new birth, he says. You know, we're so Northern Irish, aren't we? Most of us. We're so reserved. You know, a lot of us struggle to express ourselves, particularly in worship. I get that. I was brought up here. But when you had 22 lampoons running around a football field in Armagh last week, there was plenty of shouting going on from you. By lampoons, I mean that in the most affectionate term possible, okay? We'll be showing a video of that after the service, actually, if you hang around with a four-minute video Mal has put together. I've seen some of you at sports games. I've seen some of you at concerts. Starting there in the O2 or the Odyssey, you know, hands in the air. Coming to church, I would never raise my hands. What? So for some ponce from America with a guitar on the stage, you'll go, whoa! But for the saviour of the world, you'll be like, I wouldn't do that. Like, there's something wrong with that, guys. Like, there's something wrong with that. God says sing, but he also says shout. He's not deaf, but he's not timid. And some of us need to push ourselves a wee bit this year. There is something that God wants to release from within you, but you need to make a sound. There's something that needs to be expressed through you. You need to see what God wants to place in your life and start praising him as if it's already there. God says to these people, you're going to have a child. Sing and shout. They have no evidence of this. They have been barren all their lives. And God says, as you sing and shout as if that child has already been born, something will be released in you and be released through you read a story in the paper recently, which really moved me. I thought it was really powerful. It was about a little girl called uh, Charlotte Neve, who was seven years old. She had a brain hemorrhage. Uh, she had been born with a condition, but they hadn't diagnosed it when she was a child. She had a brain hemorrhage, which was extremely rare for someone her age, in her sleep, and it almost killed her, and left her unable to see and speak. Following two operations to stop the bleeding on her brain, she was left in a coma fighting for her life. And doctors, after a week of her being in a coma, doctors told her mother to say her final goodbyes. But when her mom got to the hospital to give Charlotte her final cuddle, Adele's rolling in the deep came on the radio 
a song the pair used to sing together. Her mum started to sing it to her daughter and Charlotte began to smile. Astounding doctors. Within two days, Charlotte from Lancashire had started speaking, could focus on colours and managed to get up from her bed. Two months on, she has astonished medics by learning to walk and talk and has regained partial sight. And now she's even gone back to school and dance classes. And here's what um, she says at the end of it. She says, the nurses said it was like I unlocked her when I started singing to her. And from that day, she started getting better and better. There's something about a sound that can release something. It can unlock something. And some of us need to let out a sound. Some of us need to take a promise from God and start speaking it and start shouting it over our lives until we see it. There is something about lifting your voice. There's something about speaking what God has said until you see what he has said. I have been doing this for years and I can tell you, I have seen the fruit of it in my life. There's something about declaring God's promises as if they're already happened, even though you can't see them yet. It's amazing how you will look and you'll start to see them. You know, there's something about a sound and a song, isn't there? Even in nursing homes, I'll see it sometimes, where there'll be maybe somebody with Alzheimer's, and they have no memory of anything. They can't recognize their husband or wife. And then you sing a Bible song to them that they learned in Sunday school, and they start singing it along with you. There's something about a sound and a song that can unlock something. And even as our, in our worship as a church, I want us to press forward this year. I want you to do something this year in worship you've never done, as long as it's legal and appropriate, reasonably okay. I want you to push yourself a wee bit this year and release something. There's something within you that needs to come out, but you need to do something you've never done before because if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And some of us need to release something that's inside us. What is God telling you to do? What do you need to break? And God says when you do that, things will begin to shift. Things will begin to move. Look at the next verse, sir. If you put up verse two for me, Ma. God says, after you release the sound, here's what you need to do. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. God says, as you release the sound, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be so confident about what I'm telling you that I want you to make room for the growth I'm going to give you. There's babies on the way, and I want you to make room for them. I remember when we found out Becky was pregnant eight years ago, around this time actually, once I got past the shock, and I mean shock, um, I think... I. She must have done 56 pregnancy tests before I would believe it was true. Uh, it wasn't that we didn't want a child. We just hadn't planned one right then. We'd just moved to Dublin three months before that. Uh, but but then after the shock, well, throughout the shock, because the shock lasted for another nine months, um, and it's been lasting for seven years since then. Uh, but during that time, all you have is this little blurry black and white picture to go on. And yet you start buying cots and you start doing that thing that every man here loves doing on a Saturday afternoon, going pram shopping. And you start thinking of names and picking out colours and 
if you know what it is, and, and, and you start buying child seats, and, and you start changing it, you know, getting every corner rough and rough edge in your home padded, and particularly if it's your first child, by the third or fourth, some of you have had, you're just like, oh, it'll be fine, you know, it can fend for itself. <laughs> But if it's your first child, like you really go overboard, don't you? And every, like literally. And I remember because you're making preparation for something you can't see yet, so that when it appears, you're ready. And that's what God says to his people here. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. And when it arrives, that's too late. So I want you to make room for it now. And look at what he says. He says, enlarge the place of your tent. In other words, what he's saying there, this is about capacity. He says, increase your capacity he says stretch your cords and your tent pegs stretch things out i i know it's hard to tell by my physique but i've never been big into stretching um when i was a kid at school you know where they always send pe bend down and touch your toes for me it was kind of kind of do my knees with that with that do like my knee because like that's about as far as i could go and then they would say, would you stretch this way? I'm sorry for the people listening to this on audio. Um, you're missing so much here. Um, but, and that would be about as far as it could go. And I just was like, I'm not flexible. I can't stretch. And then I started doing martial arts when I was 12 years old. And I was training three, four times a week. And I was stretching for about 20 minutes each time. And at the start, you are in pain for days. And you keep stretching. And you realize this, that as you stretch, there is tension. But you can go further than you thought you could. Got to the stage where I was able to do the splits between two chairs, one foot in each chair, and I was still able to father a child. You know, like, <laughs> if this is your first time here, this is kind of how it goes every week, just letting you know. This is not, a, this is not any different than you'll get next week. Um, but, uh, but I realized that there's a tension in stretching, but you can go further than you thought you could. And God says to his people, stretch. And some of you, God sends you, stretch, stretch, stretch. And then he says this. Open your tent curtains wide. Open wide your tent curtains. So we've had capacity. Enlarge the place of your tent. This is now about visibility. Because their goal at this stage was to hide from the enemies. Their goal was to keep their heads down, hunker down. Play it safe, play not to lose, play defense, and God says, open it up. Open up the tent. Let people see in. This is about visibility. And then he says this, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. That's about stability. We've got capacity increased. We've got visibility increased. But to support that, you've got to have stability. You've got to have depth. You've got to have substance. And as I, as I come in to finish here, I believe that's God's word for us as a church this year. That we're going to increase our capacity. In case you hadn't noticed, we've been growing the last few months. This building, as much as I thank God for it, will not be suitable for us in a year. We have talked about finding a site and building. That's not going to work, folks. That's a five-year project. We don't have five years. This place is, and we praise God. It's a high-quality problem. We praise God for every single person he sends here. But we started the second service to create space, and now it's, the kids are out now. We had 100 at the first service, 
and we've, this one's full. If we put that 12 months from now by God's grace and his goodness and his favour, where will we be? You know where we can't be? In here. And so we need God to enlarge our territory. We need God to give us a bigger space and place. And I, he has to. And as I said last week, he hasn't brought us this far to only bring us this far. I believe he has somewhere for us this year. And so that is what we're going to push into, folks. Not because we need buildings just for the sake of buildings. Not because I want a big church for the sake of a big church. Bob Marley sang No Woman, No Cry. Pastors sang More People, More Problems. That's our song. I don't want a big church. But if God is sending people, and there's people to reach, and there's people in this community starting to go, and there's people driving for 30 minutes to be here, we need space for them. Where they can come and worship God and hear the word of God and be involved in growing in their relationship in God. So we can't stay here. I'm just I'm serving notice now. We cannot stay here. I cannot lead a church that cannot grow. I'll go back and do something else in a business that can't grow. I'm just, I've told God that, so I'm telling you that now, okay? I'm being really honest with you. I cannot lead something that's contained that cannot grow. And God knows that, and he would not have brought us this far to leave us this far. So I know he has something for us. I am saying that without seeing it right now. I am saying it without seeing it right now. I believe in the next six months, a place and a space is going to open for us that's going to be about four to five years, four to five times the size of this building that we're in now. Watch and see. Watch and see. That's capacity. Visibility. Again, I'm thankful for this building, but I always say God doesn't want a church that you need a word of knowledge to find. Like we are not easy to find. I want a visible place and space. Not because, again, I want us to be like, oh, look at us. I want somewhere in the heart of Craig Alvin that people know is a center of hope. And it's got to be visible because this is a graveyard of churches as known as. I want a place that says to the whole of this area, Jesus is alive in the heart of this community. That's why I want visibility. And the verse God keeps giving me is from Matthew 5 where it says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light shine before men. So we've got capacity. We've got visibility, but we need stability. That's about structures. That's about you. That's about serving. That's about giving. That's about you stepping up and saying, I have been sitting watching this for a while, and I I want to be part of this, and so I'm going to find somewhere to serve. I'm going to not be a spectator, but a participant. I'm going to get involved. It might be in a small way. It might be in a big way. But I'm going to use what God has given me and I'm going to serve. Where do you need me, Lord? Here I am. It's about having structures. Because if you don't have the structures, you cannot support the building. You need foundations. We need, for the capacity God has given us, we need bigger structures. And my challenge to you this year is, will you stretch? Will you, will you stretch yourself a little? Will you do something you haven't done before? Will you release a sound? Because you know what it says? Here's, here's the verse that God spoke to me. Do not hold back. Do not hold back. He says in the middle of all of this, he says, do not hold back. Because there's something within me that doesn't want to do this. Because it's change and it's challenging and it's more of everything. 
And sometimes we go, well, what about the past and this happened before and how and what? And, and God says, do not hold back. Do not let your past disappointment deter you from the future destiny that I have for you. Do not live in the hurt, but live in the calling that I have placed before you. So do not hold back. Do not allow fear or pain from your past to determine what I do in you and through you. Remember that film, those of you who are over 35, Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner, where he starts saying all the old baseball players. And what's the, what's the word? He, he wants to build a stadium. What do they say? If you build it, they will come. That's God's word to us right now. If you build it, I will, I will fill it. God always fills emptiness. And God's word to us as a church is you're going to enlarge your capacity this year. But as you enlarge your capacity, I'm also going to give you increased visibility. But for that, you're going to need to go deeper. And that's not even just structurally. That's deeper into the word. That's deeper into prayer. That's deeper into Christ. That's deeper into the spiritual life. That's deeper into character and integrity and all of those things that keep us moored. And it's deeper into the gospel. Because you know why Isaiah 54 can happen as we come to communion? You know why we can have an Isaiah 54 promise? Because of Isaiah 53. And what's Isaiah 53 all about? The death of Jesus. For he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The promise of Isaiah 54 is because of what Christ has done in Isaiah 53 and that is through his death and resurrection. And what I want to say is this, that the gospel is always at the heart. The gospel is the foundation. Gospel first, everything else next. We are a church centered on the life and death, resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. And as we come to communion this morning, with all of this, I, I didn't want to do, I don't want to do a pep talk. Every pastor in the world is preaching 2020 vision this morning. I didn't want to call it that. But I'm trying to say what I believe God has sent to us as a church. And it is this, that he has more to do through us. But we need to stretch, we need to get ready, we need to put in place things. But ultimately, above all else, we are rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And we're rooted and grounded in his word. And as we stay grounded in that, we will not be shaken. We cannot fall. And we cannot fail. Because he is the rock. And he is the foundation. And he will bring us into this year. And in everything he has for us.